Welcome to the Von Nelson Podcast. With me today is CEO and CIO, Chris Wallace. Welcome, Chris. Thanks, Dan. Good to be here. Well, Chris, glad you can make it. Um, considering what's been taking place this week, it's, it's certainly been a, a wild ride, to say the least. One of the more interesting um, short uh, spurts of a week that we've seen in, in some time. Um, and, you know, I, I guess today you know, we'll do something a little bit different. I, I really wanted more to have a conversation around um, surrounding this past week's volatility and, and even today's volatility. We're recording this on a, on a Thursday here, the 28th of January. Um, and talk about the implications around the short squeeze and stocks and the micro caps and what that means. Um, but before we get rolling, could you just briefly explain what has taken place over the past few trading days? Yeah, absolutely. Um, and, you know, like they say, may you live in interesting times, and, and we certainly do. And this week is there's so many different elements of the last 10 years kind of wrapped up in this week, and it really is worth unpacking them because it for market participants that are in the weeds every day, they're not surprised by what happened this week, number one. And number two, they know, you know, it, this isn't the end of something. Um, and I would almost equate what we saw with a short squeeze as the same thing we witnessed um, a few weeks ago with the storming of the Capitol. Oddly enough, they're actually interrelated when you when you really look at what's happening in the world. But essentially what happened was, you know, we have a market where it's clearly dominated on the margin, I mean marginal flows coming in are either in the form of passive or kind of a levered player, and it's dominated by quants and not necessarily, you know, individuals with, uh, uh, you know, running through a thoughtful analysis and looking to determine what, what fair value is necessarily. And when you get into a momentum market and a trending market, you build complacency. And, and this is no different than, you know, what we saw in the housing environment. Uh, but coming into this period, you've had a concentrated number of positions. Volatility, for the most part, has been trending lower. They are, you know, rent seekers are seeking profits. And in a fairly low return environment, they're, they're using leverage from a market neutral standpoint. And you end up in a crowded trade. And in this case, you had crowded shorts in fairly illiquid names. And, and I say that uh, only to describe smaller market cap names. And it also happens to be in the smaller cap names where there's some real secularly challenged businesses. So they trust me, they are legitimately uh, businesses you would want to short from a fundamental standpoint. Uh, but they got too crowded, and it's always dangerous to have a crowded short. And then at the same time, the market structure has changed in the last several years so that options are getting to be a larger and larger part of the market construct. And what that means is, so the options market today is about $20 trillion. It's the same size as the U.S. Treasury market. And the equity market is about $38 trillion. But an options trade has many, many turns of leverage. And it's so large relative to the stock market that single name 
option purchases can actually drive stock prices. And we've really seen that manifest itself in 2020. And then we've also seen another nuance, which was people at home receiving stimulus earlier in the year and commission trading going to the zero level also meant we've seen an increase in retail participation in options such that it's the majority of of option activity today on the margin. Now, I'm not going to sit here and say that retailers drove the short squeeze. If you understand the dynamics between Robinhood selling order flow, and I'll use these names as names that people are familiar with, I'm sure we'll find out there's other parties involved, Citadel seeing that order flow, deciding what they want to make a market in and not. But more importantly, there are market makers and options as well. They know the positioning of the hedge funds. And I'm going to suspect that when we get to the end of this, we discover that it wasn't just retail buying near money options with short maturities with high gamma so that it forces aggressive delta hedging, meaning they have to buy the underlying shares. But it was probably also some bigger hedge funds initiating the squeeze, knowing that there were some very, very vulnerable hedge funds. So once that short short squeeze began, and you target a company like GameStop, and you know, we looked at GameStop a few weeks ago, there's a legitimate investment thesis um, it was probably around 10 or $12 when we started looking at it. Fundamentally, with uh, what could transpire, maybe it could get to be 30 or 40 But within a week, you know, it was already up in the mid-20s, so we just walked away because it's not a very asymmetric payoff. But that move started building momentum, and then you get, you know, you get the online effect and what I would call collusion or cooperation as far as, building the momentum and you get a short squeeze and it's played out now you know it was allowed to run its course kind of friday of last week and then monday of this week and regulators and market participants aren't concerned if somebody gets caught overly short in the short squeeze and gets taken out and is bankrupt But when it starts to impact broader market structure, that's when they're going to shut things down. And for everybody that says they should do that, it's not fair, give me a break. It's happened throughout time. Just because you're not aware that's how it works, you know, shame on you. If you think you're going to be allowed to crack the market, it's just not going to happen. It wouldn't matter who you are. Um, And I'm not defending you know, Wall Street necessarily by any means. There's plenty of games played on both sides, but that's just how the arena works. And what we really saw was we saw the the hedge funds degrossing, meaning they were forced to sell their longs and buy their shorts. And I'm talking about a six standard deviation event. And we saw it broadening out in micro caps. uh, And that continued for a couple of days, but eventually it causes a vol spike. And volatility yesterday in the broader market, yesterday being Wednesday, spiked at an incredible rate to some critical levels. And that forced the entire market to sell off. Because as volatility rises, if you're running a hedge book, 
or you have margin, your risk parameters or your risk officer is going to say, hey, you need to start unwinding. It doesn't matter um, whether you think you have good positions or not. You need to take your positions down, take your exposure down. And so yesterday was the first day we saw a broad market decline only because of rising volatility, only because of an acceleration of liquidity into an illiquid part of the market, a very small, what should be immaterial part of the market. Um, but it, it's what triggered the broader sell-off, and it's what triggered what I think was real coordination yesterday to try to shut these things down. Uh, you know, did point, you know, did, did Stevie Cohen's group and Citadel bail out Melvin Capital? I doubt it. I think they probably, we may find out they were part of the original instigators and we may find out um, that they were bailing themselves out because they probably had many of the same longs Melvin did and they didn't want to see a further sell-off. But um, it'll take a while to figure out what really happened. And, you know, my assumptions could be completely wrong. But Essentially, we just had a rush of liquidity into an illiquid part of the market that was a very crowded, levered trade, and that can rapidly spread through the rest of of the stock market. Um, And we've had self-reinforcing positive cycles out of the options market, but you can get a negative self-reinforcing cycle as well. The irony will be if these guys ever discover put options and they decide to just drive stocks down instead of driving stocks up. Yeah, and I think you know this brings up an interesting point, and, and one that you touched on here, right? You, you, if I have your words correct here, um, you described the market structure as it's changed, and now that options are a larger part of the market construct, you factor in stimulus, you factor in zero commission trades, uh, you even touch on you know, predatory, effectively you know, predatory hedge fund behavior, recognizing that they have vulnerable competitors competitors out there. Um, do you view this now as uh, what's taking place? This is just a short-term issue, or uh, do you think that there are longer-term ramifications? Uh, there's definitely longer-term ramifications. Um, and, you know, the predatory behavior on Wall Street, I mean, that's not – that's nothing new, and it's fine. Um, there's nothing wrong with that. You know, if you see someone vulnerable – you know, you go after them because it's fair game and that's how price discovery works in a lot of ways. Um, but the market structure is a bigger deal. I mean, what this really highlights is what, you know, what we would term like the Frankenstein market, right? Price discovery has not been allowed to occur and vol suppression has been occurring, meaning we've been suppressing volatility to support asset prices for so long that you are going to get these distortions. Um, and, you know, I'll give you an idea of the conversation that, you know, we've been having this week. You know, we're not panicking about any of this. We understand what's going on in the degrossing and, uh, you know, we'll seek to add the positions that shouldn't be selling off. And to the extent we have a name that's running up because of the squeeze, we'll, you know, obviously sell some of that to somebody and enjoy the downside when it rolls back over. Um, but when you when you really think about 
what the let's say we got into a negative self-reinforcing cycle where volatility rose it forced deleveraging people had to sell that selling begot more selling and then that spilled over into the credit market and you know what would stop that if you go back to the fourth quarter of 2018 we had the exact same phenomena meaning Foreign investors stopped buying treasuries at a time when there was rising regulatory uh, constraints on SIFI banks. And the banks had to either, they had the balance sheet capacity to either fund the treasury or lend into the securities market. They couldn't do both. Um, as a result, they naturally have to pull back from the securities market, lend into the treasury. And that lack of dollar liquidity is what triggered the sell-off in the fourth quarter of 2018. The Fed recognizing it, late to the party as usual, injected liquidity. That liquidity was made available to the securities market, and it bit itself back up and, and rallied in the first quarter of 2019. You know, when you look at what happened here, it's interesting in the sense that the Fed really couldn't come to the rescue and bail this out. And that's why what, when you usually get to the end of bubbles or things that aren't sustainable, it's the exhaustion, meaning there's nothing you can do to sustain it, is what triggers uh, the correction. And the reason why I think the Fed would be fairly hamstrung to arrest this situation is you could go give these hedge funds all the liquidity they want. They're not going to put the same trade back on to bid the market back up simply because that trade doesn't work anymore. With this trade not working any longer, if you, in fact, give capital to these hedge funds, they can't put the trade on in a similar fashion. They have to use less leverage. They have to be in more liquid securities. So that element has to change. And at the same time, you've got to look at the options market and go, look, we can we can continue to, to function this way, but the stock market's going to look more and more like a video game and less and less like a capital market. And that may be a choice they make, but I suspect they're going to have to change the rules around options. Um, and it may be that, you know, there'll be quote margin requirements or similar restrictions um, you know, certainly if you had professional traders coordinating such a move in their, you know, Bloomberg chat, uh, that would certainly be charges filed against them. Um, so it may be we need to adopt similar measures in and around social media. You know, that'll take time to do. Uh, but regulators aren't going to let this go on. And, and quite frankly, it, it's just another highlight that the market structure is broken. And, and, you know, we've talked about for a long time, liquidity trumps fundamentals in this market. And I think something that's going to be really important, we're going to see playing out for over the next several years is when you suppress volatility, it doesn't go away. It just pops up somewhere else. And that's why I say there's this link between the rioting we've seen all through 2020 
and 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 even 2019 in the sense that we've suppressed volatility, we've boosted asset prices, we've boosted home prices, we've misallocated capital, we have very low productivity, so very little real growth, so very little opportunity for wage increases and improvements in standard of living. And so now we've got two generations pitted against one another, one trying to suppress volatility, boost liquidity, and support asset prices uh, in their retirement, and the next generation saying, I want to start a family, build savings and wealth so I can have a decent life, and I can't afford a house, I can't afford my health care, and I can't, you know, there's very little opportunity for me to save at this point because future returns are so low. And so that volatility shows up in the form of, uh, social unrest, and in the form of, yeah, let's get together and attack Wall Street. They've been screwing us over for, for a long time. So it just plays in more to what we've been saying that, you know, we, we're at a point where a lot of the structures that are in place that have supported the way markets have worked really just can't continue. So you know, I'm picking out a couple of things you said there, and, and one, you described, you know, a positive reinforcement cycle. And, and this reminds me a bit back to the fall where we saw that, you know, really large tech run up um, in this past you know, fall of 2020. This reminds me a bit of, of perhaps what's taking place with Tesla stock price. Um, do, yeah. do you think those are fair equivalences? Do you, do you think I'm making this appropriate connection here? Yeah, 100%, right? I mean, the only reason why they stopped what was happening this week was, because of the leverage nature and the rise in volatility, it was going to affect the functioning of the market and start a cascade. Um, the same exact thing ha- happened last fall. It's the reason why the tech stocks ran up the way they did. It was all through, uh, it was driven by options activity. And that certainly has an outsized impact on stocks like Tesla, as well as getting into certain ETFs. And that's why we say, you know, liquidity and flows have a bigger impact on price now than underlying fundamentals. Ultimately, fundamentals are going to play themselves out because eventually all these things start to break down like we're we're seeing now. Um, and they'll try to put a Band-Aid around it, but, you know, it, it, it'll it be a temporary fix and then there'll be an issue that pops up somewhere else and they'll try to put a Band-Aid around that. And we're going to find, you know, central banks have very, very real limits. Um, and, you know, I just through involvement with institutional investors, large institutions, um, everybody has an example is rethinking why I own fixed income. And if they start walking away from investment grade fixed income because it serves very little real purpose in a portfolio, does that mean the Fed's going to step in? And the Fed already is on the hook to fund the deficit. So are we going to print? 10 trillion a year in order to do this, 15 trillion? Or are we going to let rates back up to provide real return to allow investors to come in? Either one of those scenarios is a real issue. Uh, we let real rates back up, we'll have price discovery and markets will be materially lower. Um, we don't let rates back up and we fix them and you know investors will sell securities to the Fed and they will print a ton of money. And that'll have implications on the dollar and inflation expectations and, and other elements. So, um, you know, I, 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 so I, I think these things will, I think the connections you made are absolutely 
relevant, um, and we're going to see other offshoots or other unintended consequences. And, you know, while most of the news cycle this week is, is focused on what our, our discussion today, the short suite stocks, um, you know, there, there's a couple other events that I, I would say are potentially impacting the broader market uh, aside from this, this short stock squeeze rally. And, and looking um, at two, one, the rising repo rates in China, um, and then the second, the, the ECB um, flagging, you know, increased concern around the rising euro. Uh, did, did you care to just comment on, on, on either one of those or both? Yeah, I, those definitely bear watching. Um, we've been watching some unique characteristics in the market for the last two weeks where this kind of reflation trade was, was seeming to, to break down a bit. And it was curious to us why that would have been occurring. And then, you know, a, a couple of days later, we get news out of the ECB. They're not too happy with the rise in the euro. And then at the same time, for the prior three or four days, we've seen China uh, draining liquidity from the market, trying to drive out speculation. Um, both of those are important elements. And again, it just drives to, you know, the weakening dollar has been a relief valve, but it can only go so far. And we may be at a point where, and maybe this is counterintuitive, but I would think Maybe the ECB has to think about raising interest rates. And while normally you think that would strengthen your currency, what it may do is reduce the deflationary pressures in their banking system. And by adding a little bit more of a reflationary pressure and easing those deflationary pressures help uh, put pressure lower on the euro, or it may spur additional fiscal policy out out of the euro. Uh, China is a very curious situation now. Uh, China in 2020, uh, you know, we certainly say, yay, they had, you know, growth and better growth than anybody else. But we got to look and really dissect where it came from. Um, they were working towards pre- prior to 2020, kind of rebalancing the economy away from supply side you know, real estate development and towards consumption, and we're making real headway doing that. Uh, 2020 really set them back. And we saw a proliferation of credit expansion, all driven on supply-side initiatives designed to spur the economy along, and a real fall-off in consumption. And that's created massive imbalances. And that's helped kind of drive this reflationary narrative as well. Um, we have seen a peaking and the credit impulse in China, that would tell us that, you know, nine, 12 months in the future, uh, we're going to see a slowdown unless we see uh, a reacceleration in that credit impulse. And at the same time, uh, we've seen uh, the very initial indications that we may have a slowdown in the industrial recovery in the back half of this year. Back half meaning well into the back half. Uh, and as I would use the analogy of the old canary in the coal mine, the only evidence we've seen so far is that the canary sneezed, right? It's not coughing and it's not near death. There needs to be a lot more confirming indicators. But both of those things bear watching, either a more competitive dynamic against the dollar, which would tighten up the inflationary trade, or further weakness out of China, or further confirmation out of shorter-term indicators that the industrial cycle's peaking. 
Um, and I suspect that may have had something to do with the market action and some profit taking as well as what we've seen with just rising volatility emanating from these short squeezes. So as we wrap up today's conversation, I guess the, the kind of last question that I'd like to leave you with here is, is really, you know, how, how do the events of this week wrap up? Um, and, you know, if you want to share a prediction, a thought, uh, or encouragement here, you know, do you think something along the lines of, you know, perhaps the SEC steps in? Um, you know, we've already saw that the, the you know, some of the uh, um, platforms halt the names today. Um, do the exchanges do anything? Or do you think this is just uh, what's going to take place and investors should begin to adjust around the idea of increased volatility around targeted names? Yeah. I think, A, I think the regulators have already stepped in. The brokers stepped in. There's probably some self-policing and some regulatory policing here. Uh, now, whether it was the CFTC or FINRA or the SEC or all of the above, uh, have already stepped in and probably let, let the brokers know you need to get your arms around this. And we've seen those actions. Now, my suspicion is we we saw vol just using a generic vol and not uh, a, a more specialized at a specific asset class like gold or oil. But just looking at the broader vol for the market, you know, it, it spiked to 37 yesterday. It's fallen back below 30 today, and that's you know one day. We need to see it continue to trend lower, which it was doing for this event. And if it stays below 30, we can start to put together a base that we can move from based on earnings and other fundamental news. Um, as it relates to broader volatility, what do investors need to think about? They need to understand that equity volatility has been increasing the last couple of years, and it is going to continue to increase whether that's the broad market or individual securities. Um, the other thing to note as far as whether yesterday's vol event was a one-time event was cross-asset volatility uh, hasn't really changed. We saw very little movement out of the dollar and very little movement out of, out of treasuries or commodities. So, you know, what happened in the equity market so far has been contained there. But just because of the structure of the market, the very fact that passive continues to get larger and larger, that means there are not what I would call natural counterparties, and you're going to see rising vol conditions. Uh, if we're allowed any price discovery in this market, you're going to see dramatically increased vol, and you're going to see you know real real changes uh, in in broad asset classes. Now, I I think. We'll, we'll get there at some point, but it will be probably years in the making. Um, I think the rise in, in passive as it continues to boost vol, uh, you know, the Fed and others are, may use it as an excuse to start buying equities uh, and just print the money to do that. But you know, that's the contorted world we're in. I think that's you know, uh, said very, very well. That is the contorted world we're in. And, you know, I, I can't wait to see where we end up. Uh, we got two, what, a couple more hours today. We got a whole day on Friday. So where, where do we finish up this week? We'll be, um, uh, we'll be on the edge of our seats and we'll bring you back next week and catch up and, and see what, uh, where, where things shook out. So Chris, thank you again for all the insight. Yeah. Um, certainly enjoyed it and we will talk soon. Thank you. Sounds good. Thanks, Dan. Views, information, 
and or opinions expressed during this podcast are solely those of the individuals involved and do not necessarily represent those of Von Nelson and its employees. Von Nelson does not verify and assumes no responsibility for the accuracy of any of the information contained in the podcast. The primary purpose of the information, opinions, and thoughts presented in this podcast is to educate and inform. This podcast, or any podcast in the series, does not constitute professional investment advice or services, and any reliance on the information provided is done at your own risk. Past performance is not an indication of future performance. By accessing this podcast, you acknowledge that the entire contents of this podcast are the property of Von Nelson or used by Von Nelson with permission and are protected under U.S. copyright and trademark laws.